This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal Transfer Show. Joining you every morning at 8am UK time. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you're doing good. I hope you're doing well and that you've had a good week so far and that your week started fantastically yesterday. It is match day. Champions League action returns for the final time this year. Arsenal face PSV in Eindhoven for their final group stage match of which is a dead rubber completely. Uh, it matters not in the concourse of competition or whether or not Arsenal will progress because they already have done. And not only that, but they have already topped their group as well. We did that by confirming with a 6-0 win over RC Lens in the previous match day. Um, and PSV as well have already progressed. They can't go any higher in the group. They cannot go any lower in the group. The only thing that matters in this group is between Sevilla and Lons as to who will come third and therefore finish in a Europa League qualification spot. Sevilla will, of course, be looking to enter their notorious, uh, notoriously successful competition by finishing third. However, there is plenty of interest about this game from an Arsenal point of view because it is effectively a mid-season friendly and it offers the opportunity of Arteta to use some lesser used players so far. And not only that, but gives some Champions League debuts to some other players. And that includes the likes of Aaron Ramsdale, of course, but also some of the youngsters as well that we'll be talking about as we go through today's stories. But before we do that, good morning to those joining us live in the chat box. Thank you so much for doing so. A1, good morning to you, to Pete Cahoo, to Old Dave, to Junior, to Matt G, to Jimbo, Martin, Glenn, uh, Amira. We've got Stephen and Anz and Damien. We've got Maximius, uh, Paul, Peter, Vlad, Kim, Blackshine, Stevie, and plenty more of you guys and girls as well in the chat box. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Let's jump into today's stories. We kick off with a massive congratulations to Kai Havertz, who won Arsenal's Player of the Month for November. I think there's not too much debate around this, to be honest. Uh, I think of all the players in the squad who had the best month. I mean, some people might turn around. I've already had a debate with judges about this who I don't think has grasps, in my opinion, what player of the month is all about in regards to kind of their influence on things. Uh, Havertz's month of November was very good. Of course, the month started off with a defeat against West Ham in the League Cup, of course, where no one shone at all. We then went to Newcastle, if you remember, and lost 1-0 in a very controversial game in which I certainly feel that Havertz had probably at that point his best game of the season and was very influential and encouraging in that game despite that crazy challenge on Sean Longstaff. We then had the game against Sevilla in the Champions League which we won 2-0. Again, Havertz had an influential display if you remember that shot he had from the right-hand side across the goal very close to his first goal 
from open play in that game. Then, of course, we had the 3-1 win over Burnley before he scored that goal very influentially against Brentford, popping up in the final moments to score in the 90-something minute. No, I think it was the 87th minute, actually, in that game against Brentford before he started against Darcy Lons and scored his first goal at the Emirates as well. It preceded that rise. It was a month in which it produced the arrival, if you like, of Kai Havertz. And I think is a worthy winner of that. I think that the term player of the month is subjective. Some people might say it needs to be the best player. Some people may think it needs to be the most improved player that month. Some people might think it needs to be the player that had the biggest impact in terms of that month on the results that Arsenal had. And for me, I think that the context around November and the arrival of Kai Havertz certainly demands him being referenced and awarded for that. Um, Arsenal are said to be interested, according to Relevo, a Spanish outlet in Real Madrid's uh, Miguel Gutierrez. They join Bayern Munich and Manchester City in interest surrounding the 22-year-old Spanish youth international. Um, he's currently playing on loan with Girona. Uh, sorry, he currently left uh, Real Madrid for Girona. Uh, he was at Real Madrid. He's now joined Girona and is doing fantastically well uh, this season. I think Real Madrid have a buyback clause uh, involved in that potential deal, which would see them be able to bring him back. But all the suggestions are that Real Madrid will want to sign Alfonso Davies in the summer of 2024. And so therefore, it would make it very difficult for Gutierrez to get in. Do Arsenal need a left back? Tomiyasu, Kivior? Timber, Zinchenko, Arsenal have four options. I think arguably need to think about more of the right-hand side than the left-hand side. But he is a very highly rated player. And maybe that's one of the big reasons as to why Arsenal are still keen despite all of the depth in that position. Um, Smith Rowe returned. I was out at London Colney yesterday. Uh, Smith Rowe returned to training. Uh, was congratulated on his return by his fellow players. They all gave him a, a round uh, of applause as he returned to the group and trained and completed training to a level which they feel he's now ready to return to the group in terms of a match day. You can see him in this image with Aaron Ramsdale getting on the plane, ready to fly to the Netherlands before tonight's game. I can also tell you that Bakaya Saka did not train. However, he has travelled. It was uh, said that he was given an extra day of rest after receiving a knock uh, in the game against Villa. Gabriel Martinelli, however, did not train. Um, did not train and did not, from the looks of things, travel either. So, yeah, very, very interesting indeed to see what that, um, if that affects him at the weekend. Apparently, it's, it's very minor. I think it's only illness that has kept Martinelli out of things uh, for this game against Brighton at the weekend. But uh, Bakaya Saka has indeed travelled. I think we've got to hope that he doesn't play. We know what Saka is like. He very much likes to push himself and to, to get himself involved, even when he doesn't necessarily need to. And I think he would do and benefit from the rest, if feasibly possible. Not only did the senior players travel, uh, as you would expect, but uh, a few of the youth players also travelled for the game. Uh, Real Waters, uh, Ethan Nuaneri and Lino Souza, all amongst the group of players that have travelled and flown out to the Netherlands and they could all potentially make their Champions League debuts. And in the case of uh, Walters and Souza, their competitive debuts for Arsenal. Nuaneri, of course, played in that Premier League game against Brentford last season. Whether or not we see these guys involved this time around remains to be seen. And according to Simon Collings reporting this first yesterday, Real Waters is in talks over a brand new contract. His contract with Arsenal expires, it turns out, at the end of this season. So Arsenal certainly need to be conscious of that moving forwards as well. Now, Arteta conducted his press conference yesterday in the Netherlands after arriving 
from um, London and he was talking about Urien Timber rather interestingly. He says he is doing very well. Obviously, he's going through a really significant injury, but he's flying, to be fair, the stage he is right now. The way he works every single day is incredibly satisfying to watch, but unfortunately, we're going to miss him still for a long time. So it is encouraging to see that Timber is going to be, you know, in terms of recovery, it seems to be progressing really, really well. We still don't know what this means regarding uh, a potential return or a timeline of that return. We heard that, you know, the he's, he's going to be running on the grass very soon, which is obviously very, very good. And that could indicate that he'll be back before the end of the season. But again, it's very much important to uh, kind of talk about the fact that we need to give him time. He was asked about how fast he was recovering. He said very fast. The first few steps are crucial for that injury, for the amount of work they have to do, for the need to be resolved and to get some activity and mobility back and start to build the strengths, especially how the head is throughout that period. I think he's in a really good place. He was asked about his twin brother, uh, Quentin uh, Timber. Uh, at final, he says, "Yeah, the parents have done a really good job. I think I know the brother is a little. I know the brother a little bit. I know the family. Really good footballers and two extraordinary kids. I don't know the rest because they're a big family. But congratulations to the parents. Yes, amazing genetics uh, to produce two fantastic footballers there. And he was asked if he saw him play. And he said, "I did. Yes, just to make sure we didn't get the one that we didn't want, <laughs> which is kind of a funny response. But you know, I think can be taken." in jest for sure um he was asked about psv he said really impressive how they play psv i've won 15 of all 15 eredivisie matches this season despite arsenal's battering of them at the emirates earlier this season however there is expectations that the likes of noah lang um will not be involved in tonight's game um they've got a number of players that are you know question questionable and they've also got a game away at rz alkmaar at the weekend so i wouldn't expect those guys to be involved Bascagli, i think as well potentially. Um, he says, really impressive how they play, the consistently the way they're winning games. They've been extremely dominant, not only this season, but last season as well. And huge credit to the manager, the coaching staff and the players, what they've done. When you look at the record that they have here, it's incredible. So we're going to have to be really good tomorrow to beat them. He was asked about the youngsters and said, three big prospects, Arlino, Ruel and Ethan. We want to bring a lot of players from a system and they deserve to be here. The circumstances have got them into this position. They're still really, really young, but we want to get them the experience because they have the talent, hopefully, to be very close to us. We'll try to give them the opportunity if we can in the right moment. I mean, I'd start them all. You personally, I'd start every single one of them if it was up to me. Um, but who knows? I guess we'll wait and see. I think Walters is a good chance of starting, but I think the other two, Sosa and Nuineri, may come off the bench. Um, on asked about kind of the... Um, uh, let's scroll down on, on Smith Rowe and his return. He says what we what he has been through is part of the experience that 95% of footballers have to go through. That's difficulties, injuries, setbacks and different kinds of performances too. He's back now and he can use that in a very powerful way. He'll be a much better player. I think he's on the right path, the way he's done his rehab. I haven't seen it like he's done it this time. I think you have to see how his teammates reacted to him being back with the team, which is really positive as well. The more we can give him chances to play, the better we will be. So let's hope that that's going to be the case. And we also hope that it is going to be the case as well. Um, but he's going to be involved in the game tonight. We really hope that that he is, particularly. He was asked again about Bakai Saka because he didn't train. He said, no, he's fine with a few of the players. We decided to give them another day's recovery just 48 hours before. And some of them have played a lot of minutes. We've already done what we had to do inside. So it wasn't worth putting them out and exposing them outside today as well. So... Yeah, very interesting. Um, Cedric, of course, I can see a lot of you saying Cedric in the chat box um, about whether or not he could be involved. He could be. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. 
you got to give the guy um, the opportunity to play as well. So, yeah, let's wait and see if that ends up happening. Um, I want to end part one by addressing some big news in the world of football rather than just specifically um, Arsenal related. But you may or may not have seen a story coming out of Turkey yesterday. Uh, league matches in Turkey have been suspended indefinitely after a referee was punched by a club president and kicked in the head on the pitch. In the game between Ankara Gucci uh, and they uh, they drew with uh, Rise Sport in the Eriaman Stadium, uh, which is located in Turkey, which my pronunciations I'm sure have been awful, so apologies for that. Um, and there was an equaliser in the seventh minute of stoppage time, which triggered mayhem. Uh, Halil Umut Meler, who took charge of the game, stood with his assistants, I'm reading off the TalkSport website, by the way, uh, at the final whistle when he was attacked by the uh, Ankara Gucci president, Farouk Koka, uh, um, he ran onto the field towards the referee, flooring him with a right hook before an unidentified individual then kicked the referee's face while he was still down. Um, players and staff performed, uh, or they formed kind of a barrier around the referee whilst he was then herded away from the field. He was taken to hospital under the supervision of police officers after sparking the brawl. Unsavoury scenes has put the domestic game in Turkey in turmoil with the Turkish Football Federation later announcing that all league matches in the country will be not played for an indefinite period. Um, we also heard from the... Um, the Turkish president, uh, Tayyip Erdogan, who was quoted in Turkish media condemning the attack. He says, I condemn the attack on referee Halil Umut Meler after the MKE Ankara Gucu Kayak Rise match was played this evening. And I wish, wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, sports means peace and brotherhood. Sports are incompatible with violence and we will never allow violence to take place in Turkish Sports. Rise Sport, the club that they were playing against, expressed support for the referee, saying, We strongly condemn the undesirable events that occurred after the Arakuchu uh, match. Uh, we played today and we wish the entire referee and community, especially the referee of the match, Halil Umut Meler, to get well soon. The reason why I bring this up is because we've been talking about referees a lot. Um, we've talked about referees um, and their inconsistency, and we've highlighted the scrutiny um, that I have obviously been very vocal of my own scrutiny towards the consistency and the quality of officiating in England. However, I think we can agree that I have been equally as vocal about the need to denounce abuse of officials. Now, when I tweeted out this story and reacted to this story yesterday on my own social media platforms, it did not take long before we saw certain responses come in, which effectively were designed to try and vindicate the actions of the uh, Turkish sides. Um, I think, was it the, the, the chairman or the, the guy involved in the club? Uh, I'm just going to double check that quickly. It was uh, the president, Farouk Kocha, uh, who's attacking the uh, the referee. I tweeted uh, last night saying, and this is why, whilst I've been very open with my views on the quality of officiating and scrutinizing the consistency, I have been equally as if not more outspoken on discouraging abuse of officials. It leads to these incidents. It also leads to less budding officials starting out. So if you watch this, if you saw this story, if you started to 
vindicate or try to justify the actions of a referee. And what I mean by that is that I've seen a lot of comments online, a lot of responses to this story suggesting that, well, you know, if it's it's going to happen because the officiating's terrible and they keep making mistakes. It was inevitable that we'd get to this level. No, that's not acceptable. And that is not an acceptable response. The immediate response to this should be the condemnation of the actions and that the hope that the relevant punishment is taken against those involved. Abuse and physical abuse in particular is not acceptable in any way, shape or form. There is no argument to this in which you can try to justify or try to apologize or make excuses for the actions of those that abuse or physically abuse officials and referees. The sport needs referees. Referees need to be held accountable for their mistakes and their referees need to be scrutinized for those errors so that we can improve the standard of refereeing going forwards. But at no point going forwards should anybody be attempting to justify the actions of the of those that are, of course, involved in the abuse or the physical abuse of officials. The sport needs referees. And if referees at a young age, people that grow up wanting to be an official, want to do this as a job, start seeing this, start seeing people justify and defend those that both abuse and physically abuse officials, who is going to want to do this job? Which budding referees that could come through to be better than the referees that we scrutinise today, when are they going to want to do this job? Because we are not doing enough and not enough is done to protect officials in the right way. You are allowed to criticise officials for their mistakes you are allowed to scrutinise them for their errors, but you are not allowed to abuse them and you are certainly not allowed to do what happened in Turkey yesterday and certainly should you not encourage or defend these actions in any way, shape or form. So it's a real shame to start seeing people make excuses for or to suggest that we were heading in this direction. The only reason that's made us head in this direction is because not, is not, not enough is done to protect referees from the abuse that is suffered. Not enough is done to scrutinise those that think it's okay to abuse officials. As I've said a number of times, you can criticise, you can scrutinise the errors, you can ask for higher levels of accountability, you can ask for consistency, as we all have done here over the last few weeks as Arsenal have been treated, in my opinion, I think exceptionally um, and in exceptional circumstances compared to the inconsistency shown in other games. But at no point would I want to see any referee abused. At no point would I want to see any referee attacked like we saw yesterday. And I wanted to raise this point because I think it's important that we do and that we discuss this. I'm sure you might have some thoughts on this we can talk about in part two. Uh, and speaking of which, we're going to jump to that right now, right after this. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, um, shall we jump into the chat box? Um, Peter says the ref should bring criminal charges against the man who hit him and the others who kicked him and the club should be banned for a significant period of time. It's. Uh, I certainly agree with the criminal charges being brought against the person involved um, in the attack. They should be charged with assault um, and so should the unidentified man that, that kicked the referee as well and they should certainly face uh, criminal charges because of their actions, without a doubt. Um 
in terms of the club being banned, um, is is that that stuff? I think that that's the more debatable point because these are the actions of of two men in this situation. Does that is that worthy of the entire club being punished? Well, the person is the president of the club, so there's an argument that yes, but I think that's the, the greater debatable point. Certainly, not is not debatable is the uh, criminal charges that should follow against the two men involved in them. Um, let's go to Marcus says I was attacked by a player when I refereed. Um, and followed regular verbal abuse from the sidelines of matches, and I quit. Uh, I did it for around eight years and quit in my mid-20s. It's really interesting, Marcus, to hear that story. I'm not surprised that, A, you went through that, because abuse of officials is a commonality. It's a commonality on uh, on a Sunday league situation. You see it from sidelines always, always. You see it from players, you see it from parents, you see it from coaches on the Sunday league. You just go to the park at the weekend and you can witness it um, happening on a, on a weekly, daily basis even. So um, who who wants to be referees? Who wants to, to do this job when this is the type of, you know, situation they find themselves in? So, yes. Um, Unique says, I think the league should be paused for a month and that shows there's zero tolerance. Probably a really good idea, actually. When we talk about the debate around whether or not there should be a greater punishment for the entire league, yeah, I think maybe you have to put a deterrent in place. It's a good idea if you're going to, you know, to discourage these types of actions from happening again in the future. Maybe the league does need to have a month pause. How that affects scheduling, though, there's obviously a lot of question marks and and obstacles into blocking this. Uh, Dano says, uh, how would you feel if Arteta is banned for Liverpool? It's been over a month since Newcastle and nobody knows the process. They are seeking maximum punishment and no manager for Liverpool away. I'll be incredibly frustrated because, as you rightly point out, this process has taken a significant amount of time, which feels as though that it is getting to a stage where it could be Liverpool, if indeed he faces another touchline ban, that he gets banned for. Why take so long? Why wait this long? Make the decision. We know the quotes. There's no debate about what he said. If you're going to punish a manager for what they said, punish them. Stop waiting. Make a decision. There is suggestions that we should get an answer very, very soon. I hope that if any punishment comes, that it's for the game against Brighton this weekend and not for Liverpool. Um, Sabre says, I agree with you that there's no justification. I'm scared that the next word in this sentence is but. I've not read the rest of it yet. I agree with you that there's no justification, but... We need to have a discussion around quality. Is it possible to get data about referees getting better or worse now to tackle that? No. Incorrect. There is no but in this situation. It is awful that this referee got attacked, but. It is awful that this person was abused, but. No. There is no but. If you want to have a separate conversation about the standards of refereeing or the critical you know, knowledge and, and speaking that we have about referees, have that discussion. But that is not attached to this. That is not associated with this in any way whatsoever. Whatsoever. There is no but. The but is an excuse. The but is a vindication. You may not intend it to be, but unintentionally that is what you are doing by saying but. There is no justification. This person attacked another person, but no. This person attacked another person, full stop, punished them. It's a simple and as black and white as that, there is no but at all, ever, when it comes to physical abuse or verbal abuse, at all. Um, Dave says, that is what Arteta meant when he said clear and obvious. I absolutely, absolutely agree with it. Um, I think the clear and obvious thing is, is, I think a lot of people drew into this comment that he made in the post-match press conference about the clear and obvious nature of things. Um, 
because the uh, because at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, when you when you talk about clear and obvious, he's hinting that we need to make sure that those mistakes are clear and obvious. And I think the penalty for Louise was. I think that the um, the red card from Diego Carlos was. I think they're clear and obvious errors that they weren't given. So that's what I think that he meant as well. Too much. Too many people read into those. Um, I want to let Sabre respond if indeed he did. Sabre said, wait, I'm not attaching this to the attack. I'm discussing the abuse in general. I know, but the problem is, Sabre, as I mentioned in my first response, you're doing it unintentionally. You're not intending to attach it, but by using the word but, you are unintentionally attaching it. So that's why I said language is really important and how we string our sentences together and construct them is important because they can have multiple meanings. And as soon as you use that word but, you attach it. And you might have not done it intentionally, but that's why we need to be so careful. So, so, so careful. Um, Rob says, uh, thoughts on Arteta's comments about Smith-Rowe's rehab. He says he haven't seen this, uh, seen it like this before. To me, it seems like previously he's not been happy with Smith-Rowe's rehab. Maybe why Smith-Rowe wasn't playing any inside info on that. I think you've taken it the wrong way, Rob. I think when he said, I haven't seen it like this, I think he's just talking about that the previous times he's recovered were also good, but this feels even better. He's coming back. He's responding to the rehab even better. The injury is not, he's not having as many setbacks. He's not struggling with the rehab as much as maybe he did last time. So no, I don't think it's a negative. I think it's an encouraging positive more than anything. Um, Dwayne says, Tom, I'm starting to not enjoy football because I should watch in hope that my team plays well, doesn't miss chances and make mistakes. But I also have to worry about the VAR officials who let me down weekly. And Dwayne, and this is what I mean, what Dwayne's done here, he's not attached this to the previous conversation in any way, shape or form. He's talking about referees in a separate conversation, which I respect. And I think that specifically... I agree with you. I, I agree with you that it's a worry that every single week the standard of officiating has me concerned. The lack of consistency with the decision-making has me concerned. And I'm watching my team and I'm criticising my team like I did this weekend for not taking the chances they create. But I'm also feeling for my team because they didn't get the response, they didn't get the decisions that they deserved on the day because the officiating was not good enough on the day. So I think you're absolutely right to bring that up, Dwayne. And I, I agree with you. It is something I worry about every single time Arsenal play. I have to worry about whether or not the, um, uh, whether it's uh, related or not. Sabre says, under no circumstances is abuse ever okay. Oh God, it's that word again. Okay, let's read it. Uh, under no circumstances abuse ever okay. But it's important to look at correlation. Please don't confuse correlation or causation, but we want to try and improve the game in every manner. Again, you've made the mistake of putting the two conversations in the same sentences. You can't. If you want to have a discussion about the importance of improving the refereeing standards, have that conversation. But you don't have it when you talk about the abuse of officials and you talk about the abuse that was suffered by the referee yesterday in Turkey, it's not part of the debate. It's not part of the discussion. It is unacceptable. That period. That's it. There is no but. No buts. There is no buts. And again, <laughs> you say you're not attaching it. You are unintentionally attaching it. By saying but, by saying however, by saying, well, you know, but there is on this side. On the other hand, you're attaching it. And so it's a simple as that. Um, 
John says assaults like this have to get jail time. I absolutely agree. Uh, Zed says, I really dislike the fact that people try to brush aside refereeing decisions, but it's a huge factor in 90-minute games. It's beyond shocking. Again, I don't think we do that here. I don't think we brush aside refereeing decisions at all. I think we talk about it in depth. I think we talk about and scrutinize the inconsistencies that we see on a weekly basis in the Premier League and that we hope to see it improved. In a separate discussion, as we have had today about the incident that we witnessed yesterday, we are absolutely condemning the actions that we saw and there is no if buts and maybes about it um let's go to answers tom what are your thoughts on a certain platform we all know who stating arteta out after the villa i mean you know i think i think you know my thoughts on that yeah i think you know my thoughts ridiculous uh, michael says um by putting the two convos in the same sentence you've inherently attached the two topics together yes uh, that michael said it better than i could so you are if you're putting them in the same paragraph you are attaching them unintentionally um, which is wrong, and you shouldn't. Uh, Highbury Ultra 13X says, uh, if they ban Arteta for Anford, I think it shows the blatant bias and them trying to influence results as punishments, which isn't just at all what your thoughts. I can't help but think that if it's waited so long that we get an answer ahead of Liverpool and then he's banned for Liverpool, it, it feels incredibly sus. It feels so sus. It's so sus. <laughs> I can't help but feel that way, that, that it's taken this long and there's you know, an intense, it's just a decision. You know what he said? There's no debate about what he said. There's nothing subjective to be known about what he said. He says, and it's embarrassment. He says, it's a disgrace. He says, he's sick of it. Now you need to make a decision about what punishment you think that deserves. I personally think in the context of what he said, it, it doesn't deserve a punishment. Fine him. Maybe, maybe as a minimum, I don't think it deserves a pitch side ban at all. The same way I don't think that celebrating and going outside your press box, which, by the way, I think we've seen images of Chris Wilder for Sheffield United run outside his technical area celebrating, to which he got no punishment at all. So if you're going to book pay people for this, it needs to be brought into context. It needs to be brought into context. Um, Edra Sass says, Tom, I'm annoyed that other fans are beginning to look at Arsenal fans as crybabies when we are dealing with special treatment. I wouldn't get worried because it's going to happen. I wouldn't get worried at all. I had Villa fans in my comment section after the game saying we outplayed you, which was inherently incorrect, and that we need to stop crying over the decisions we made. It's going to happen. You have to deal with it. What you have to understand, though, Edros Sass, is those same fans that criticise Arsenal fans for being crybabies are crybabies themselves when the refereeing decisions don't go their way. It's just hypocrisy. It's a contradiction. They contradict themselves. I wouldn't worry yourself too much about it. Um, sure, it's annoying. Sure, it's frustrating, but we all know that if you scroll back through their timelines, you'll be able to find tweets where they've moaned about refereeing decisions themselves. So I, I wouldn't let it worry you too much. Um, let's go to... Boom, 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 boom. VJ says, what's your take on Martinelli's unwillingness to take on the right back in the Aston Villa game? I saw too many times he stopped and waited for the team to catch up. Martinelli being a bit timid for Arteta's instructions. I don't think he was waiting for the team to catch up. I think it's his style. What you often see Martinelli doing is he stops, he goes, he's a stop-start kind of dribbler. He wants to see if he can get kind of a, a yard of space on the defender at times. I would have loved him to run in behind more. He did try a number of times and it nearly worked, but there was a reason why he was substituted. He wasn't having the best of performances. He wasn't being effective enough. The problem was is that we don't have a quick winger that can run in behind like... Cody Gakpo can, or like Luis Diaz can, or like Pedro Neto can. We don't have one of those on the bench. I know Reese Nelson is pretty quick, but again, he's still more technical and dynamic and I think prefers to cut inside, does Nelson, or get his cross into the box. We lack that pace in behind sometimes from the bench 
if Martinelli isn't willing to do it like he was in the home game against Sevilla, for instance. He had a fantastic game running in behind. But we don't have that other option. You know, we don't have a Diaby on the bench to do that. And so uh, that is obviously a frustration, which I think needs to be addressed in the upcoming transfer windows. Um, Live says the Arsenal players are not playing on a level playing field against referees, the media and PGMOL. Stop being naive. Small margins win games or trophies. I don't think I've been naive in any way, shape or form about this. I think I've addressed that I think that Arsenal are treated and I feel they're treated differently I personally think they are treated differently it's felt that way for some time I think there's too much evidence suggests that we are there's too many inconsistencies yes there may be some internal bias because obviously I watch Arsenal a lot more than I watch other teams but it's difficult to not to, to see other examples where it doesn't go in the team's favor and it goes against Arsenal where it didn't before in other games and on too many occasions it's as simple as that uh, Zuntar says, Tom, do you know the reason for the early kickoff today? I think everybody has to play one early kickoff when it comes to the group stage games, at least one. And because we're away and we're in, we're slightly further east um, in Europe than we are, I think they've chosen this game for us. I think it's the most, it's the most easterly game in Europe that we play because obviously France and Spain aren't as far east as as the Netherlands. So time-wise, uh, I think they've moved it in that direction for that reason. If you're the further east you are, I think they play the games earlier. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, let's go to Boss says, what rapid wide forward could be available in January? Any names come to mind? Again, Pedro Neto is the one that I like a lot. I really do like Pedro Neto. I think there is another one as well that the name has escaped me, but I remember someone brought it up in a previous show. I like a pender, but he's more of a centre forward as well. Um, but has played in a wide area. It's worth pointing out. Who is it? There's someone. Um, but Pedro Neto is the one that that stands out the most for me. Um, Sabre says, just for the record, I want referees to be able to do their jobs free of abuse. That's without caveats. And when I mention abuse, that goes for brigading and shouting to violence. Fair play. And that's perfect, Sabre. It does perfect. There was no buts. There was no if nots. There was no maybes. That right there is perfect. Now, if in a separate comment, we wanted to talk about the consistency or the fact that there is too many errors in refereeing, no problem at all. But when you conflate the two together, that's that's the problem. Um, Jeremy Pino is out injured, I think, with a significant injury at the moment. Um, so that's worth talking about. And Neil Gunn says, right, Tom, what diet are you on? You're looking well, mate. Any tips? Appreciated. Thank you, mate. That's very kind of you indeed. Um, I tell you what, the last, it's last couple of weeks haven't been good. I'm actually seeing my trainer this weekend. Um, and it's like an online thing I'm doing. And, um, you know, like you, I've invested in a, in a training that gives me like a menu meal plan and things like that. And I have to stick to it as best I can with some exercise. Last couple of weeks have been really tough. Um, really, really tough. Um, mental health wise, you know, I've been having some struggles. I've been talking about it. I can't talk about the reasons behind that at the moment. I may be able to talk about that at a later date, um, but I can't at the moment. And that's made it tough. But the fact that you still think that I'm looking a bit healthier and better does certainly make me feel better. So thank you for that. That's very kind of you indeed. Uh, Raf says, uh, we are fighting the soft tag, which means that we don't get fouls for 50-50 challenges. Gerard is the main reason Saka gets no protection. Now Arteta gate means that we won't get 50-50 decisions going our way. It's really difficult, isn't it, Raf, to, th to, to, to look at that. It does feel as though that Arteta's comments and Arteta's created a bit of a reputation for himself, which... In some ways, you I, I empathise with him. In some ways, maybe you could scrutinise him and say maybe he shouldn't have been as outspoken as he is because he's put a target on his back. But maybe we, he, that, that's starting to justify some of the decisions of the referees that are clearly mistakes. It's a difficult dynamic, isn't it? Um, 
but I agree with you. I think that we aren't getting those 50-50 challenges as much as we are. As we are, Gerard's comments about Saka are absolutely spot on and really well referenced. If you've not, if you don't know what they are, Google them. It's worth searching up. I might try and find them myself in a second. Uh, and Arteta's comments, you know, again, it seems he's scrutinised more. You know, Chris Wilder comes back for his first game again for Sheffield United. Celebrates by running out of his technical area, not booked. Arteta in the 97th minute of a game gets a 4-3 winner, steps outside his technical area, celebrating, gets booked. Context. It's not applied. Common sense, not applied. And uh, I think ultimately it's getting very much like it's them against us. It does it creating this dichotomy, which we really need to um to sort out. Let me just find those Gerard, because that's a really great shout. Gerard Saka foul comments is that the right one uh yes Steven Gerrard tells Bakaya Saka to toughen up after complaining about fouls in Aston Villa clash um let's find the comments from Gerrard he said um I hate cookies uh I'm not on my server where I have my usual VPN so I can get rid of them but uh I need to I, I was on the wrong tab uh, he said, we are too rough. They didn't commit any fouls today, Gerard replied. Um, he said, listen, it's part of the game. The last time I checked, it isn't a no-contact sport. I think tackles are allowed. Physically, it's allowed. Aggression is allowed. He, being Saka, is a good player, an outstanding talent. I love him, but he can't complain about that side of the game. That's football. I'm sitting here now with screws in my hips. I've had about 16 operations. I'm struggling to go to the gym at the moment. That's all on the back of earning a living in English football. He'll learn and he'll learn quick. The comments of Aston Villa's former disgraced coach for how bad he was, Steven Gerrard there. Um, terrible. Like trying to justify. Yes, I've got pins and several surgeries because of the actions of this sport. That's how it is. No, that's not how it is. The reason that you've got screws in your hip is because we didn't do enough to protect players during your era. It's as simple as that. And we should change and we should do more to discourage awful challenges that we see wreck careers over and over and over again. So it's as simple as that. Um, and and Nassimos says, uh, how much does Klopp's and temperamental nature, petty and temperamental nature, take away from his personality and legacy? How badly would you like to beat them at their own gaff? Oh, I'd love it. I'd love it. I'd love it if we beat them. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think that Klopp does let himself down sometimes with his mannerisms. I have empathy at times for his frustrations. But I do think he can be a bit disrespectful to the questions he get asked. I know that a lot of Liverpool fans don't feel that way and defend him as their king. Um, and I, again, understand why. But I do think he lets his character and his charisma, which I love at times, down with some of the kind of real snaps he has at certain questions. Um, like we saw the other day when the um, when the presenter was asking about the... Uh, the joke making a joke about the 12.30 kickoff time again, uh, which Liverpool won that game and were very fortunate to win because of the officiating in that game as well. Um, and says, I personally don't think the comments were unreasonable. Football is a game built on emotion. He was right to expose an alleged corrupt system. Um, 
I think that is that in regards to Arteta's comments. I've I've said before. I think that him saying it was embarrassing and a disgrace. I don't think is too controversial. To be fair, because I do think the decision made were pretty controversial. So there you go. Uh, Grantley Poo says Gerard has screws in his hip because of that slip against Chelsea. <laughs> it was self-inflicted. It turns out. Uh, Darren says, and considering he made comments about the need for players' protection when coaching Rangers as well, did he indeed? Gerard, Rangers, players. Uh, let's see if we can find that protection. Uh, <laughs> here we go. March 2019, Stephen Gerard insists his players aren't getting enough protection from referees. Um, let's find these quotes. Gerard says, I'm not sure how many yellow cards there were today, but it could have been eight or nine. The same people which got booked were constantly fouling. They weren't even fouls. They were wiping out my players. We don't feel as if we are getting enough protection at the moment. There are fouls on a football pitch, which are fine. Sometimes you have to make a foul, but there is a difference between a foul and a dangerous tackle. And I thought there were a lot of dangerous tackles out there. Did I speak to the ref? What's the point? I'll chat with the referee. Then there will be a different one next week and the same thing will happen. Thank you, Darren. You've made my day with that. Oh, the hypocrisy, the contradictions. It's just, ah, oh, it's just, you know, it's one rule for one game, one rule for another game, one rule for one player, one rule for another player. If it's my players, we need to protect them. If it's the players we're booting off the field, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. Oh, the hypocrisy. You love to see it in, pu in its purest and simplest form. Stephen Gerrard completely exploit, uh, exposed with those controversial comments. Akamal says, NFL is a contact sport and there was a time when they were defending players getting concussions as part of the sport. Times have changed and player welfare as humans should be front and centre. Also, there's a lot talked about with concussions and also about heading balls at a young age when you are learning and whether or not heading should be banned at certain young ages. I certainly think that there is a good conversation to be had there head-on-head -head collisions can be really dangerous at any age, but specifically at a very young age when children are still developing, I don't mind the idea of banning heading. I don't think you necessarily have to ban heading. I think you can, up to a certain age, have below-head-height football. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing in any way, shape, or form to have below-head-height football. I think it promotes technical play. I think it promotes um, better footballing ability. I think it promotes better technical ability. Um, to play below head height games at a young age. And then when you get to a certain age, then you can start to incorporate the aerial side of the game, um, but, you know, by phasing it in. But it's it's a very important conversation that needs to be had. If you look at the correlation between footballers who have gone on to suffer with illnesses at older ages, like dementia, for instance, uh, Alzheimer's, there is a correlation. Yes, correlation is not always the same as causation, but in, there is very, very good evidence to suggest that the two are indeed linked. Um, Hybrid Ultra 13X says, question, Tom, what's your opinion on the Emery revisionism over the weekend? Good manager, but I hate the gaslighting that people acting like he was unjustly sacked at Arsenal. Oh, I agree with you. I think that Emery is a good coach. I think he's a good coach at certain clubs, but I think that his record at both PSG and Arsenal are perfect examples of the clubs that he doesn't work at. It's, it's you know, I think it's about relationships between a coach and the club. For some clubs, it works. It's like relationships in life. You might find that a relationship with one person didn't work out. You weren't a good match. And you might find that another relationship, it does work out because you're a better match. And I think that the thing, the same thing goes for certain managers in certain clubs. Sometimes they're good matches. It tends to be clubs that have the word Villa in their name, whether it's Sevilla, 
Villarreal or Aston Villa, it seems to work for Unai Emery. Um, but I think they are more so clubs that are in some ways and sometimes punch above their weight with respect. You know, I think that they're clubs that try to challenge the top teams because he has a style of football which is designed not to necessarily dominate like it is for the elite clubs like Man City and Arsenal and PSG and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. I don't think it's about that. I think it's about he has a style of football that is designed to be that level below those clubs but challenges those clubs. And I think that the design of that is why it works for teams like Villa and Villarreal and Sevilla and that's why he's had success with those clubs. So, yeah, I think that certainly that is, um, that is that is true. I love that people are picking up on the Villa thing. I'm surprised he never signed David. Did he sign David Villa? He, he, did, he, did, um, he did manage Valencia back in the day, didn't he? Unai Emery. Uh, let's check. Did, did, he, did he manage David Villa? I really hope he did. Did he manage David Villa? David Villa was at Valencia between the years of... 2005 to 2010, Unai Emery managed Valencia in 2008. Yes, he did. <laughs> Unai Emery managed David Villa as well. Oh, that's glorious. Captavia. When was Captavia? Captavia. Let's have a quick look. When did Captavia play? This is great. I'm enjoying this. Captavia played for Villarreal between 2007 and 2011. Unai Emery managed Villarreal. Into that, oh, it was much, much later. Much, much later. That's a shame. I thought I might have been pushing it a little bit. Who did he manage? Anyone else? Real Zaragoza and Sporting Gijon. And no, Deportivo. Hold on. Does that cross over? No, it doesn't. Oh, that's really that's really annoying. Um, did he manage Espanol at any point? No, he didn't. Oh, that sucks. That, that really sucks. Um, that's a shame. I was hoping that there might be some crossover at some point, but he's not managed any of the teams that Captavia played for. I nearly got it. <laughs> we'll take that as a win for today, Rowan. You're right. That's our win for the today. Sevilla, Aston Villa, um, Villarreal and David Villa. Yes, Aston Villa. It is known as Aston Villa now because of Unai Emery. Um, <laughs> it's not Aston Villa. It is Aston Villa. Is there any other? Did he ever manage Yanam Villa, says Raf? Did he, I think Jan and Villa did play in Spain for a bit, did he not? Did he, not, did he play for Sevilla at one point? No, he played for Inter Milan. Um, no, he didn't. Um, he played for Inter Milan, Sunderland, Santetti and Olympiacos and Ren and Unai Emery did not manage uh, Jan and Villa. Sorry. Any others? Have we got any other? Come on, surely there's some more. Other players with the name Villa in their name? Surely there was another. There must be. There must be. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic stuff um but on the on the whole like revisionism around Unai Emery he wasn't a very good fit for Arsenal the the dressing room was utterly fractured by the time he left they made bad decisions in the market he always gets the benefit of the doubt McGraw in the hole we didn't sign the players that Unai Emery wanted he still you still have to get the best at the players that you do sign you know Mikel Arteta didn't always get the players that we also wanted Mikel Arteta wanted Moises Caicedo you know we didn't get him Mikel Arteta wanted Rafinha. We didn't get him. Mikel Arteta wanted... Um, there's a number of others who were also sort of gone. Mudrik. We didn't get him. You know, Mikel Arteta has not always got his first choice. But Mikel Arteta has got Arsenal into a position where they are competing for titles, you know? And Unai Emery didn't get his first choices, but ultimately didn't succeed with Arsenal. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say that Unai Emery didn't get the players he wanted because Arteta didn't always get the players he wanted either. 
Um, so it's certainly worth pointing that out as well. Unai Emery wanted Stephen and Zonzi, don't forget, you know. So it wasn't always going to be the greatest thing in the world. Um, but yeah, uh, there you go. Anyway, thank you so much, guys, for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure, as it always is. Uh, you've been an absolute joy to speak with. I hope that you've appreciated the show that we put on this morning. Let us know your thoughts on anything that we've talked about today. I hope that maybe even you've learned something about the refereeing debate as well, and that maybe it's taught some people to not you know, attach the two conversations together when it comes to the abuse of referees. That is a completely separate topic to talking about the scrutiny of refereeing accountability and decision-making. There is no place in this world for abuse and for physical abuse of referees in any way, shape or form. There is no if, buts and maybes with that argument, but there is certainly a separate discussion to be had about the quality of officiating, which is very, very different in terms of the talk and that we need to have about that. But I hope that the right outcome is found for those involved with the horrific scenes that we saw in Turkey yesterday um, in that match that if you've not read about, or if you joined us late, please go and do some research on it and give yourself more information to make an informed decision. If you've got any thoughts um, on it, please do leave them down below in the comment section. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Drop a like, subscribe, and as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates are around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.